You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast, and I have Gunther Witzeny. He's a philosopher specialized in the philosophy of science, philosophy of language, communication, philosophy of biology. In the late 1980s, he proposed the concept of life as a communicative structure. Cells, tissues, organs, and organisms uh, organize and communicate through uh, processes and you know, sign-mediated interactions. And so we're going to talk about that biology and evolution and all those good things. So, Gunther, thank you for being here. Fine. Yeah. So, tell me about uh, what are you interested in in the world of biology and evolution and why? How, what, what made you interested in this for so long? Yes, I'm, I'm, my expertise is philosophy of language, hmm. originally. originally. And... Um, then I read in the 90s of the last century, I read uh, a lot of uh, biological papers and uh, saw they use uh, many terms out of uh, language science or linguistics, such as cell-cell communication or uh, genetic code, description, mm. translation, and so on. Mm. And then I investigated how they found and justify their terms, and I had to notice that in biology they used these terms in a rather outdated version. Oh. They use communication and language in a mechanistic way, uh, convinced that you can explain language and communication by mechanistic terms. Sure. This is not correct. This is clearly an error because philosophy of science had a 60 years old discussion and this discussion has a result. And the result is you can't catch communication or language in a mechanistic way. It's uh, in- impossible to catch these terms mechanistically because in language you have a superficial uh, grammar for example but also a deep grammar uh, and with mechanistic approaches you can you can catch the superficial grammar mm. but not the deep grammar well with language there's also intonation and then there's um, I mean there's a whole bunch of things you can uh, you can allude to something. Uh, language, I guess, is very sophisticated and has many levels of communication, right? Yes, in every communication, you need some sign system 
to transport what you want to try to say mm-hmm. and uh, it is clearly uh, the result of this discussion that you have three levels in every kind of language and this is the grammar uh, how to combine the single signs to a longer sequence of, like in our sentence uh, talk now you need the correct grammar otherwise you, we stand each other so then we have to transport something, some content, which means this is semantics, the meaning of the signs we use. Mm. So, level of rules in language is pragmatics. This was forgotten, forgotten by most uh, biological disciplines if they speak about natural language or code, because pragmatics means that there must be a sign user or a sign using agent which is interwoven in a concrete life world and the context in which this sign user is involved decides about the meaning, not the semantics, not the grammar. So in biology always, if you have a natural code, like the genetic code, for instance, uh, it was long the conviction if you have the grammar of the nucleotide sequence, you have the meaning. Okay. But this is, this is an error. It needs the context in which the sign sequence is used, which decides its meaning. So we can see this at epigenetics. We have the same and identical DNA code for some gene or gene regulation. But the methylation or histone modifications, the epigenetic markings, decides how DNA is transcribed transcribed and translated into proteins. So you have the possibility okay. that you have an identical code, but depending on the context, it is a different translation into proteins. So you have uh, the same code, but you may have a variety of different proteins as a result out of this. It depends on the context. This was completely okay. So epigenetics changes the context in which the DNA... Well, epigenetics is affected by our environment, which is the context in which we live, and that affects how DNA is read and transcribed. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. Got it. And then um, a big question that comes to mind is, does um, language require intelligence? Coding, decoding creation of a code. What, what are your beliefs there? Yes, I, uh, with my studies and my expertise in the early 90s, it was clear that the assumptions of biology, that genetic code is the result of error replication and natural selection of a variety of errors, is not correct. Because there is no natural language and there is no natural code which speaks itself or code itself. There are always, in all empirical uh, investigations we know, uh, there are competent sign users which you speak a language or which code a code. So the assumption that there is a natural code like gen- genetic code is a, a, the result of errors and uh, the selection of uh, a variety of errors uh, cannot be uh, correct. 
So I'm, I searched for agents which are able to edit this code, mm. to arrange nucleotide sequences, who change uh, nucleotide sequences in living organisms, and uh, as a result for evolutionary novelties and uh, genomic variations. I searched uh, nearly 20 years for this, but I did not find my agents. And then, 2005, I read a book from avant-garde virologist Luis Villarreal from Irvine University, California, and this book was Viruses and the Evolution of Life. And Mm. he, in very detailed way, explains how viruses determine cellular life in all stages of its life. And so I was very excited because now I found my agents, which edit code. And as Villarreal proved, uh, the main life motive for life of viruses is not disease causing or the bad uh, disease uh, agents which uh, are damage whole societies through disease. But the most prominent and most uh, actual motive of viruses to live is to infect organisms and to install themselves in the genetic code of the host organism. And he called it, this is persistence. They persist in the, in the organism. So we have, for example, in so, uh, human genetic code, uh, nearly 20,000 persistent viruses. Really? Which are constantly integrated, not, most, most of them not, uh, cannot be replicated because they are only parts of the former viruses, hmm. infection agents, but parts of viruses now are adapted and now serve as regulatory tools for the host to regulate his gene expression, his replication, his immune system, most prominently, the most immune systems uh, also of prokaryotes and eukaryotes are from for, former viral infections that now got persistent status. Mm. And so help cellular organisms to defend themselves against invading parasites and uh, have uh, possibilities to change their genome actively if adaption processes are necessary. So this was That's really amazing. exciting. So viruses, uh, you can see them wearing a shirt that, with the crown on it that says "Keep calm and infect on." You know, they have, these uh, are only those that are not able to uh, persistently invade a host organism. Uh, so you're, you're saying that the whole purpose of viruses is to integrate with the DNA of other organisms, so they can continue. Yes. The main purpose of viruses, it's an infectious genetic parasite. And the most prominent motive of viruses is to infect and to install themselves themselves into the host organism. Uh, In most cases, uh, it's not one virus, but viral clouds. You must, if you take one drop of seawater, you have one million bacteria, but Mm. ten times more viruses. So if we go swimming in the sea, we are swimming in a soup of viruses. They don't harm us. They don't do anything to us because we have a strong immune system. 
but some uh, integrate and help to uh, strengthen the immune system and also competing viral clouds uh, try to integrate in host organisms. And then the exciting thing occurs, the competing viral clouds who want to, to infect the host organism are somehow counterbalanced by the immune system. And this counterbalance invading parasites, genetic parasites, now can integrate into the host organism as counter-regulation systems. If they are integrated as counter-regulating persistent viruses, we have very much regulations in our genome as any other living organism. And normally the counter-regulation functions very well, but if you have some disease or some infect or you, are, you have a bad cold or so, or even in cancer, this counter-regulation can get out of control and one side now is too strong and not counter-regulated by the other side. And so most of the diseases we know are out of control counter-regulations hmm. in this sense. So um, what, are, what are some examples of viruses that have integrated into our genetics as humans and what functions do they serve? Yes, for instance, uh, we have a lot of retroviruses integrated in our cells, and one of the most prominent, uh, is for sure, is the syncytin gene, which tears that uh, trophoblast, the, the, this is the embryo of, uh, in mammals. If the trophoblast cell has a membrane, and this membrane is uh, regulated by this syncytin gain, which derives from retroviral viral infections. And this syncytin gain cares that the embryo is not identified by the immune system of the mother as mm. foreign. So if the syncytin gain is, is, uh, is red and replicated, the embryo is under, is sure not to be recognized by the immune system of the mother. And as long as the syncytin gain is uh, replicated, uh, the embryo is uh, carefully protected. Hmm. And after the, uh, uh, the embryo is old enough, then the replication of the syncytin gain is stopped, and, uh, but this doesn't matter because the immune system of the mother uh, is uh, now uh, suppressed suppressed, and the embryo can grow up. So this is one example, the syncytingin. But there are an, a lot of other uh, things like the ARC gene, R-I-R-C, okay. ARC gene, which cares for synapse uh, communication and the cognitive capabilities of brain uh, mammals with, brain, with big brains like our relatives, uh, great chimpanzees or so. And this ARC gene is responsible for cognitive uh, uh, capabilities. So if this is uh, correctly transcribed and translated, the ARC gene, which also derives from a retroviral infection, then the cognitive capabilities can grow and develop. Okay, interesting.
Another example we now can look at is like the uh, HIV uh, virus. HIV? Uh, HIV we are virus, uh, which is very dangerous now and, and kills many people, still kills many people. But some few people are immune against this. And we have indicators that in these few people, this REV virus is integrated persistently. And if they reproduce, uh, nobody will become ill. But if they uh, reproduce with non-infected people which have not doesn't have this protection, then uh, this disease can become virulent and dangerous again. Mm. So the population of humans which have this virus integrated uh, won't become a disease, but if they mix with uh, non-integrated members, then the disease will go ahead. So viruses want to change their hosts and insert their DNA, and then they also want to protect against other viruses getting in there and disrupting what they've done. So uh, going back to an earlier question, and I'll broaden it, do you believe that a mind or intelligence is required to create a code, and do you believe that all creatures that are alive have some sense of purpose or self, even a virus? Uh, for in, uh, I don't uh, think that we must uh, need some terms like mind or conscious which edit this code because uh, also the virus depend on RNA networks and RNA networks, uh, the communication of RNA networks serves uh, that uh, viruses can constitute and together with viruses they RNA networks are integrated into cellular organisms. And uh, these three levels, RNA networks, viruses, and cellular organisms, have different communication levels, but they are complementary. So if we look at life as we know it here in our planet, we have these three levels of communication, RNA networks, viruses, and cellular organisms, which depend on each other. So they... Uh, clearly can edit genetic code, uh, RNA networks in every cellular process, cells, tissues, organs, and organisms. The key uh, replication or transcription, translation, epigenetic markings, immune systems, even repair systems depend on these RNAs. So the new perspective is to look at DNA just as a house, and the RNAs are the inhabitants. They are active. DNA is not active. DNA is a rather stable information storage, uh, evolutionary archive. Uh, but uh, who are the or the what are the agents that uh, live out of this archive for the host? It's uh, the RNAs. The RNAs in every process of cellular life plays key roles. So how do you think uh, life began? Yes, life began, and this is the concept uh, Luis Villarreal and, and me, myself, uh, we wrote uh, some articles about this. Life is constituted and it started with uh, 
This is very interesting. They started as a genetic code in the RNA world. Uh, there was uh, some investigations uh, some years ago, and they found if you have a, a RNA stem loop, as, as, as the stem is a double-stranded RNA, and the loop uh, mm. is a single-stranded RNA. If you have one so a RNA stem loop, this uh, functions only in a physical-chemical way. It reacts only in a physical-chemical way, constantly following natural laws. But if you have a group of such RNA stem loops, then, interestingly, biological selection starts. Hmm. So uh, life, for my, in my perspective, started with group interactions, group communication of RNA stem loops. Because then biological selection starts, and this is uh, not possible on apiotic planets that biological selection starts. This is only with these uh, couples, couples, and the density of RNA stem. And then they they could build groups, and uh, they had uh, no stable information storage, but constantly changed in a very dense way. The, the oceans were full of these RNAs. And then is the question, what starts then, viruses or cells? There's a discussion and a discourse in the competing concepts, whether viruses came first or cells came first. But it is clear that most viruses uh, serve or have genetic sequences which cannot be found in cellular life. So this is an indicator that viruses are older than cellular life. Personally, I think that viruses and cellular life maybe started together, but the roots of viruses clearly relate to the old RNA world, and therefore is older than cellular life, even if viruses and cells emerged at, in parallel. So what, um, do you think that life is an emergent property of naturally forming RNA that came together in groups? Yes, for sure. Because if you uh, you have the single RNA stem loop, it uh, it it reacts only in a physical chemical way. But if uh, you have a, a group of RNA stem loops, then biological selection starts, and the genetic code, which is absent on abiotic planets, starts to work in in their interaction modus. They constantly interact with their loops because they are single-stranded and are binding-prone to meet other loops and can build groups that uh, represent a kind of early genetic identity. And this identity is able to, dis uh, to differentiate between self and non-self. Integrate, if you answer RNA stem loop group, meets another RNA stem loop, it may identify, does this fit to us? Can we integrate it or not? Must we, uh, do we reject? And, and so self, non-self differentiation, which is clearly a property also of viruses, and later on of cellular organisms, uh, starts here with the genetic identity of such groups. And not to forget, RNA stem loops constantly invade other RNA stem loops. So if one, is, one group is weak, 
it is occupied and manipulated uh, immediately by one. And the remaining single parts, uh, which are rejected in later times and under changing circumstances, uh, may fit in a, in a later phase and may be in a later time integrated into self or rejected for more integrated parts. So this is very dynamic and this very dynamic life of RNAs was not on the focus on former pictures of life. Uh, are there any um, lab experiments where people have taken various RNA and put it together in a dish and see if the RNAs interact and start to uh, change over time? Has that been observed? Yes, there are a lot of papers and Villarreal and, and myself in our articles, we, we took this in our references and also in the meetings I organized uh, in 2008, Natural Genetic Engineering and Natural Genome Editing, or 2014 was uh, DNA habitats and their RNA inhabitants, and last year we had evolution, genetic novelty, genomic variations by RNA networks and viruses. This was the third congress. The proceedings are published uh, at the New York Academy of Sciences in the annals. So people have taken RNA, put it in a dish or a culture or a medium, and they've seen it interact with other RNA and changed it? Yes. What kind of interactions did they see and, you know, how long did it take for interactions to happen? Uh, the, in very detailed work, many uh, groups, uh, did research on this and they identified even uh, how the tRNAs, which in the ribosome care for translation of the messenger RNA into the amino acids, they found that the tRNAs derived from two different parts of former, which were invented or, or emerged for different purposes, not for translation into amino acids, but when they got this final form of a tRNA, transfer RNA, then they were able to bind uh, in this exciting process with their triplet code, uh, the amino acid code, and to produce proteins. Hmm. So they, these uh, researchers in RNAs, uh, most prominently by Thomas Czech, who got the Nobel Prize for this RNA world hypothesis, and now uh, uh, hundreds and thousands of groups which uh, do only research how RNAs communicate and interact with each other and what properties they have. There is no mind and no consciousness, but there is their competence to bind to other RNAs uh, and uh, produce biological selection processes. So RNA, you said there is no consciousness, there is no mind in RNA. No. What about in a virus? What about in a bacteria? What about in a uh, invertebrate? You know, wh at what point does it start? So if you, uh, the, uh, there is no consciousness, no, but there is still life. And life depends on is it able to communicate together, to coordinate. Uh, so one of my main purposes or premises of my books is that living nature as a whole is organized and coordinated by communication processes. So if, if you look at any cellular process, 
you in li in cellular organisms, there must be coordination and organization mm. between organs, between tissues, within the tissues, within the cells, within the organisms. And these are all communication processes clearly identified uh, as such. And if this communication process is function, then the organism, the tissue or the organ has no problem and functions as it is necessary for the whole organism. But if these communication processes are disturbed by something outside of the organism or inside the organism, then the communication comes out of control and this communication disturbance occurs, then disease may be the, the result. So this is life. Well, but why why do we have consciousness then? What, why do we need consciousness if life can work without it? Uh, we have uh, we are a, a single event in life with our conscious, but we we have uh, yeah, consciousness is a difficult uh, term. Consciousness is uh, we can find also in primates. They have uh, a language that is not the same like ours, and they are not uh, self-reflective, but they can uh, still communicate in a very differentiated way. Also the cetaceans, the dolphins, the, the whales, hmm. and also some birds have uh, strong cognitive abilities. Uh, different to humans, but without no doubt on a high level, uh, depending on social communication processes. So. We can go down now to bacteria. Uh, bacteria in groups like uh, can also uh, have very uh, differentiated communication processes. So they form communities like the biofilm. You all you know the biofilm. Right. If you have a cold in the nose, you know the biofilm. And if you take the human uh, oral hole, there are 500 different. Uh, uh, kinds of or, uh, of bacteria and they have all to communicate with each other to get a constant equilibrium in the mouth hole. Otherwise, we get a, a mouth uh, disease on the mouth hole. Hmm. So, if there is some organization and some coordination in living nature, you need a communication process which functions. If the communication doesn't function, you, can co you can't coordinate common goals for instance. Right. But you don't think that a mind created RNA or DNA, you just think it emerged out of... I, I don't know this, but uh, a mind is not necessary to explain uh, how RNAs, viruses, or cells live. Hmm. They well, can't do it by themselves. They are competent to use signs and communication processes. That's enough. Communication processes is, have an as inherent feature as they want to function. Communication processes want to be successful. And uh, otherwise you can't coordinate common goals or common behaviors. Like in bacteria or in single-celled eukaryotes or in fungi or in plants. And, uh, the difference between animals and plants is that the communication in plants uh, not so slow because it's not electrical, it's only on chemical ways, mm. but uh, they have properties which is more than in animals. Uh, plants can communicate on five different levels in parallel. 
It's impossible for animals. They have a central nervous system. They have uh, the brain organ. The brain organ says what the organism has, has to do. In plants, they have a decentralized communication processes and therefore can be able to communicate on different levels in parallel. So this is uh, for a sessile organism necessary because it can't run away. But if a plant uh, mentions a dog uh, running around him, uh, if the plant could think, she would wonder what is doing this dog here. He's yeah. running away. So. It's eating my leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's peeing on me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what? what is the latest thing that you are working on? What is... What new topic is fascinating you, and what are you working on? Uh, now I'm uh, I got uh, a contract with, uh, with my publishing house, and I will edit then as next of my books. The last in the series is biocommunication of fakes. Biocommunication of fakes. These are the fakes are the viruses that only infect bacteria, and you know uh, half of the bacteria of the world die through fake infection every day. Uh, the reason why bacteria still are alive because they are very fast in reproduction. So also the fake therapy is an important step which will uh, last the next decades because the multi-resistant uh, uh, disease-causing bacteria now as a result of multiple use of antibiotics hmm. now causes these multi-resistant uh, microbes and fake therapy which only kill bacteria is now the leading field to to catch these uh, multi-resistant microbes and to help humans to avoid problems. Uh, do, do phages eat bacteria and viruses or just bacteria? Uh, uh, Phages are viruses. Oh, okay. Kind of specialized viruses, and they only uh, only catch bacteria. They are specialized on bacteria, so huh. they are they all they also uh, co-evolve with bacteria. So bacteria try to to escape uh, fake infections by changing their immune systems, and um, especially the CRISPR-Cas. Uh, system which mm. is now under investigation is a result of how uh, <coughs> bacteria integrate former infection events of uh, fakes into their genome that uh, to update their immune system to faster react against invasions. So do phages do the same thing with bacteria as they do with us? Do they try to infect bacteria so that they're RNA will be incorporated into the bacteria? Do they have the same goals as regular viruses? Yes, the viruses is an ineffective agent. In the mm. first place, is an effective agent. But uh, as I told before, most uh, want to use cellular life genomes as natural habitat mm. to invade and to persist and not to reproduce because host serves for reproduction and the persistent status will also be reproduced, the perfect way of life for viruses. 
I thought that some viruses will infect a cell and force the cell to make many copies of it, and then they will kill the cell and then infect other cells. Yes. These are the dangerous viruses. These viruses were not able to integrate persistently, but uh, try to replicate via, via, via uh, uh, disease-causing uh, infection, and, and the cell dissolves, and the viruses spread within the organism, and maybe kill the organism, or cause a dangerous disease. But these are the rare exceptions, hmm. not the general life form of viruses. This was a strong error in biology in the last decades to think that viruses are the bad mm. guys. And same thing with bacteria. Not nearly same. all bacteria are bad. Yes, bacteria. So we, we now have this discussion about the microbiome in the gut. In yeah. our gut we have this bacteria which are uh, most prominent symbionts of higher cellular life forms, especially mammals and animals, and we can only digest our, what we eat and uh, metabolize if the microbiome in our gut is well balanced and uh, well, uh, well at the whole, mm -hmm. then we feel well. So if the gut and the microbiome uh, gets out of control in our gut, Every, everybody of us knows what the consequences are. Well, very good. Well, Gunther, thank you for coming. And if uh, people want to learn more, how can they get in touch with you or read your books or papers? So this is all on my website. Uh, this is biocommunication.at. Okay, biocommunication.at. Yes, A-T, uh, Alpha Theater. Theatre. Oh, okay. A, A T. Sorry, A T. Good. Like Apple Tree. There are all my books, and there is an introduction in my philosophy of biology, and uh, there are all nearly all articles for download, and uh, this is a good information basis. Well, very good. Good to thank you for coming, and uh, yeah, I thank you too. I, I think interesting book. Yeah, definitely. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.